Kim Stanley Robinson read along podcast for you. <laughs> I think it, I'm thinking of, of it more as a commentary track to the novel lately. Like a, com- a, a commentary track? Yeah, like you'd get a DVD and you have a commentary track to the movie, but we're just doing commentary. It's not a read along thing because we're not reading it aloud to our True. listeners. True. It's like a bon- it's like a bonus track on the DVD of the book. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um this season is on 2312 and this episode we're going to start with lists four and hopefully end with what is it called swan and inspector Jeanette. Uh, i think that's right swan and the inspector swan and the inspector yeah um so should we get into it or should we talk about how the world is falling apart well the world is falling apart we're recording on uh September 5th. And so this is the beginning of the end of everything. (laughs) (laughs) I think this is more like the middle of the end of it. What is the point in during the end of everything when you're like, oh shit, it's actually the end of everything. Yeah. I don't, yeah, we may not be alive for that. The actual end of everything. Yeah. Well, I did read a thing uh, by uh, an article that interviewed Michael Mann, the climate scientist, not the filmmaker. It was like, well, you know, Climate change is unlikely to drive humanity to extinction. So that's good. Yeah. Is it, is it good? I think it's good news <laughs> and bad news. I think it's one of those good news, bad news good situations. News, bad news. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, for those who are looking forward to living in the Mad Max uh, sort of walking dead space, then yeah. good news for you. But um, or what's fact, the, that's probably what's bad the, news. What's the Kevin Costner movie with the, uh, where everything is flooded? Oh, A water world. Yeah. 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 Also, there's the Postman, right? Which is also yeah. isn't that also a post? I never saw that one. I never saw that one either. It's not floods, though, right? No, it's not. I don't know what it is. I never saw it, but it's definitely not floods. I mean, no. like Waterworld is like you know, also unrealistic because there would still be plenty of land. It's very unrealistic. That movie's unrealistic. <laughs> I mean, there's no way they'd still have that many cigarettes. <laughs> I know we're probably running out of them now, you know? Oh man. What's yeah. What's the tobacco crop look like under a uh, climate change? I had no idea. Something to, something to investigate. Something to ponder. Uh, uh, well, let's just talk about the book because that's more uh, fun. It's a diversion. <laughs> yes. um, so lists for among these like list chapters, I, this one was fun because I just kind of checked off all the conditions that I think I have uh, <laughs> and made sort of sarcastic notes about uh-huh. the ones that I, you know, reject that I definitely don't have or, mm-hmm. you know, manic depressive couldn't be me is what I wrote there. And you, um, you just have like sort of crossed things out and circled them. Yeah. Apollonian yeah. Dionysian. I said, which one lets you drink more? You know, I have like check marks and X's next to a bunch uh-huh. of things. Oh, you do. You do. Yeah. It was yeah. fun. I thought I would. Uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, just keep me occupied. 
Well, I it was making me think about the um, you know, uh yeah, I mean, there's a lot of interesting stuff in this book about classification, right? right? Um, and like what happens with classification, I mean, like, you know, what happens with classification when like things have spilled out of like the boundaries of the planet, right? And in which human life has become developed in like so many different ways, like, uh, so it's making me think partly because it be- begins with sanguine uh, choleric uh, phlegmatic melancholic in uh, phlegmatic melancholic i was thinking about michelle in um obviously the mars trilogy and his like um uh making of the diagrams to try to give the like diet you know using the humors as part of his like alchemical diagnosis of like people and their states um uh i mean and you know so uh I mean, and even there, like, whether or not, like, the characters, like, actually, like, fit these kind of, like, archetypes of, like, mental functioning that he wants to produce, um, you know, that's, like, sort of constantly a question there. And here also, like, the this is, book really, I think, sort of, like, pings us between thinking of particularly Swan and Waram as types, you know, that mm-hmm. one could type and put into some kind of classificatory system, right? You know, like bird versus um, uh, uh, reptile, right? Um, uh, um, for example, like, I feel like um, this novel is just also like really constantly playing with those kinds of classifications and with like the slide between like the specifics of a person the way in which that person seems to be an archetype, the way in which that person is a symbol. Um, yeah. And, and this, this is like one of those moments where we're just seeing like, oh, are all these equivalences with each other? Are these like competing systems for doing this? You know, could one choose, right? Like right. One, one of these like spectrums to like sort of like situate yourself in or uh, et cetera. Yeah. Or are they forced upon you and, also like that we're always, we're always doing this, even though we, even no matter how, how how much effort we put into like addressing people in their uniqueness and particularity, there's always a kind of drive to categorize or compare, find patterns in things. And then, yeah, like um, it, what you mentioned, like, could one choose later on in the other, in the extracts chapter that we'll talk about, about like gender, um, and sexuality, um, there's like um, discussion of what you would do if you want the child in in embryo phase to end up being, you know, uh, hermaphroditic or like X Y plus like X, whatever all these kinds right, of right. things that I don't know anything about. Um, um, so yeah, and then so like you know, who, who chooses and how is this kind of, how are these choices made and who makes them and what kind of agency, again, like if we're talking about agency, um, do you have over, over not only like who you are, but how other people perceive you and categorize you? Um, I don't understand what monkeys and pumpkins is. Uh, I don't understand what monkeys and pumpkins is either. And I, I, um, I turned to my, um, built-in cube mm-hmm. google 
and spend some time. I mean, I feel like, does it refer to like some particular experiment? I mean, they're always giving pumpkins to monkeys at the zoo. You know? Right. Like if you paint a face on a pumpkin, will a monkey try to like fuck it or something? Mm, I mean, I feel like they give them to the, they give them to the like monkeys at the zoo and they like play with them. Uh, but I don't really know what the reference, the reference is. I mean, yeah, I was thinking, is it like the wire monkey mother? Is it, is it that right, the right, most right. horrifying human experiment? <laughs> well, obviously not the most horrifying human ex- experiment, but it's gotta be up there in the, in the annals of like, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Don't know. I was, sur- I was surprised that he, that among this list, I mean, so there's the seven deadly like sins and there's the. Uh, the humors that we know from Mars. I was surprised that he didn't include like the uh, trustworthy, loyal, helpful, friendly, courteous, kind, obedient, cheerful, yeah. thrifty, brave, <laughs> clean, and reverent from the Boy Scouts. Yeah, yeah. So that's where my mind goes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely. Um, yeah, and then we end, you know, and then we end with like, um, right, the brain. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, And I think that's another thing that's just like, I mean, obviously that's interesting in this section of the book, since in this section of the book, we're kind of, we're really heading into the question of the cubes of the quantum computers, um, whether or not they have, you know, reached some kind of point of independent intelligence, Um, uh, you know, that that's been floating around in the book this whole time. but it's interesting to think that the way that it's worked so far is that what the cubes have to do with sort of like the um, kind of like uh, initial mystery, which is a little bit like what happened to Alex? What did mm-hmm. Alex want? What was she trying to do? Um, what do the cubes have to do with the um, destruction of Terminator, right? Um, those things have been really like if there's a line of questioning there, we've only been just like kind of noticing it so far, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so we like move into this section through this like, you know, set of analytics um, that do either do or don't map onto one another, right? You know, are these all ways of describe, you know, overlapping ways of describing the same phenomena that ultimately right. could be described as these kind of like brain processes, right? Right. Um, and, and thus like, you know, um, hardwired or at least deeply like wired, um, into the brain, um, or, you know, are there things that happen like in relation to like describing those, um, that like mean that you can't simply describe them as like sets of brain functioning, right? Are there like gaps here or, um, whatever it may Right. Yeah, and all that feels like that does kind of set us up for questions about what we should think about the cubes exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, totally. But, um, and that, but that doesn't come until later because we still haven't like, that'll be like a big part of our conversation today is when Swan and the inspector are talking about the possibility of the cubes doing right. It. Right. Um, but right now we get a chapter just from the perspective of Inspector Jean Jeanette or Jean Jeanette. Um, and uh, he's a cop, basically. Jeanette. Jeanette. Jeanette is a cop. Thank you. Um, Jeanette. <laughs> Jeanette Look, is a cop. For- I'm a Neanderthal. I'm a you're, click type person. You're a Neanderthal. That's yeah. right. 
Yeah. Jeanette is a uh, kind incapable of a quasi of learning. Yeah. I am I, very incapable. Of <laughs> uh, Jeanette is a cop um, and also a detective. I mean, which are like, you know, uh, at, at least in like um, literature and film, those are both like similar. Those are overlapping, but not coextensive categories. I, I mean, guess. he's less, a, I guess he's less. I mean, he isn't in Jeanette is an inspector. Sorry. Jeanette is an inspector. Um, so he's less a Jeanette is less a cop than an inspector or a detective. But yeah, but he works for what is called a police Jeanette works for they Jeanette. No Jean, pronouns at all. Hillary. John, Jean, Jean, Jean works for <laughs> right, works for something that's described as a police agency. Right. Interplan, Interplan. not a universally acknowledged police agency but rather something in the nature of a semi-autonomous quasi-governmental treaty monitor. It's like the UN. Yeah. Although, something like, or Human yeah. Rights Watch or something like that or something. At some, yeah, at some point we get like, um, sometimes, sometimes it almost seems like an NGO. It's definitely, I mean, as far as like police agencies go, it has a pretty like ambiguous, um, I mean, because it's not aligned with a state nor does it seem to be aligned with like, I mean, it's cl most closely aligned with the Mondragon Accord right. um, communities, right? So like, it's not, it itself is not, uh, you know, it doesn't have, it's not the armed wing of any particular state or even the investigatory wing of any particular state or group of states. Right. So it does actually have a really weird status you know right. like the the officialness of jean jeanette is a little bit um uh under question well getting get, so on my 188 it's the, it's the second page of the chapter getting some consequent action out of the insights achieved was never quite as much fun more often than the inspector would ever confess to any single person it had been necessary to make deals in some poorly defined space anarchy one might call it in a bad mood to bring certain findings to any kind of action in the world but so far no crushing blame had rebounded on interplan's head and in a business like theirs that was all one could ask for so i i mean it does seem right to me so i i think maybe it's it's not wrong to think about like um Jeanette as having um absolutely has the is the detective function in mm -hmm. this novel it's uh Jeanette is the detective function in this novel that is not exactly a detective novel yeah but nonetheless has like a detective function in it it seems right. like um uh and maybe like that detect, I mean, and that detective is sort of like quasi aligned with what we might think of as police powers, but mm -hmm. the alignment is like really quasi. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that's kind of an interesting, you know, um, partic particularly because what Jeanette is investigating, I mean, at this point, um, Jeanette's investigating the attack on Terminator um, and that also um, can't be clearly aligned. Um, well, even even calling it an attack at this point in the novel is premature because it's it, he even thinks of it just as an event because they don't even know if it's what actually happened. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. Although in this in this is the section in, in which Jeanette has the revelation, yep. right? Um, you know, sees the sees a pattern, right? And the pattern that Jeanette sees 
um, uh, is like very literal, like, um, you know, like um, basically what what Jeanette, Jeanette's sort of like intuition via like immersion, what seems like this kind of like literal immersion in data is to think that um, rather than a sort of singular point of attack, we were seeing something like a mob, a multiple point mm-hmm. attack, um, which is how it which is how it bypasses the detection systems, et cetera, et cetera. So there's this interesting way in which like um, uh, through Jeanette's detective processes, like we get revealed, um, which which is all about looking for pattern. We get revealed that there is a kind of pattern, right? But then the pattern itself is like very hard. To, the The question of whether that pattern can be traced back to some kind of like unified set of actors um, or like a disunified set of actors to actors acting in like individual interests or corporate interests or state interests, all of those things like are remain kind of like radically open and hard to understand, I think. He has this revelation, Jeanette has this revelation of, you know, what happened? I mean, I guess it does say the solution to the problem of the attack on Terminator all at once came to the inspector. So like Jeanette realizes what happened, but not how or why. Right. And then that becomes the mystery. So it's a little bit like a Columbo type situation where immediately the, the the detective figure walks in can clock exactly what happened, but, but need, but only needs to know who the agents were, what the motive was and what would the method was for, for making it happen. And I, something I think is quite interesting here. I was thinking about this on, this is page 211 in my version, which is three pages into the chapter. Um, uh, um, Uh, the line of Mercury had been a good friend of the inspectors, and when the line cubs had managed to regather after the evacuation and assert mercurial authority over the investigation, they'd asked Jeanette to take charge. There was no question of declining such a request, which it seemed could also serve as a way to further the projects one had been pursuing with Alex and Moram. Indeed, the inspector felt that the destruction of Terminator so soon after the attack on Io and the death of Alex might be part of a pattern. The autopsy had confirmed that Alex's death had been the result of natural causes, but there remained a nagging ambiguity in Jeanette's mind for some natural causes could be pushed to happen. And so I I was thinking like, you know, after, and we were just kind of talking about this in relation to that, the lists chapter, right? Um, the looking for patterns, um, which is one way to like do a diagnosis, for example, right. And is one way to like solve a problem or reveal a mystery, like the looking for patterns here, um, is a way of like producing knowledge. Um, and that knowledge, like, um, here we see this, you know, um, that on the one hand, that knowledge could be just sort of like, um, uh, I can say what a set of events were, um, and, or I can say like um, what caused a set of events or like how this happened, right? If the attack on Terminator like is partly confusing because it's just not clear how it could have happened, right? Um, you know, how, why, why was there no detection if this was like a missile of some kind, right? Um, but then there's also a way in which that kind of knowledge, so I was trying to think about how like, you know, what happens in a detective, in a detective story, right? And how does the, de- the kind of knowledge that the detective produce 
like, does it or does it not map on to like the way in which a, a reader is trying to understand what's happening, right? And here, Jeanette, like most detectives, is like ahead of us, right? Jeanette is like a couple of steps <laughs> ahead of us, or if you're me, like multiple steps uh, way, way ahead of me, right? Um, but then we also have this sort of question of whether that, like, that kind of like knowledge of detection is meant to just like get us to like a criminal right. or whether it gets us to something like a, a conspiracy, right. Or a bad right. actor, maybe not a criminal, maybe like a bad actor mm-hmm. um, or whatever, or whether it gets us to something bigger than that. And that mm-hmm. kind of the idea that the pattern, which, which lets us understand the individual event might also be part of this bigger pattern that connects the weird thing that happened on Io with the destruction of Terminator, with the death of Alex, which appeared to be by natural causes, and there's no evidence that there is anything strange about her death. Right. So then I think there's this sort of like, we're we're in this kind of space between like, do we want there to be this large scale conspiracy because that would be like really satisfying and make for an exciting story? Or do we not want there to be a large scale conspiracy because one, it seems unlikely, and two, to do that forces us to engage and have a sort of conspiratorial posture toward this world that we're looking at. And since we're looking at a world that's all about like this kind of tension between having centers, centers mm-hmm. of power, centers of knowledge, and being like really radically decentered, you know, thousands of asteroids, you know, however many like different kinds of communities there are, so many different ways of life. Um, yeah, I don't know. I maybe I'm not making any sense here, but I, I think this is like kind of an interesting point in the novel between like um, the the sort of desire to be able to bring everything together and say, aha, it's all part of a pattern. And we could like answer this question by like mapping power dynamics or even or even by discovering the source of the conspiracy versus like there may be nothing that holds it all together, right? Even if we can understand that like this attack on on Terminator was done um, uh, in a particular way and launched from a particular site. Right. Which, you know, relates to, to later on when Swan and the inspector are actually talking about the nature of what this event was and what, um, who, you know, who would have wanted this to happen, uh, how it could have been done, and then the nature of evil, like, right, right, like, you know, what are, what are we actually dealing with here? And to know what we're dealing with here, whether it's a mm-hmm. one bad actor, a psychopath, or a orchestrated conspiracy, or just some total randomness, figuring out what type of event this is, also lets them understand sort of where they are in history in a mm-hmm. way. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, like, is human history, is human history one big story? Is it just a stochastic jumble of chaotic events? Are we um, sort of one collective species divided by our consciousnesses? Or, uh, or is it literally all just is there a design could we influence that design or is it just all randomness um and we don't know why things happen at all and and or or you know yeah and the nature of evil uh in all of that um would yeah influence your like the the existence of evil within all that if it really exists would radically alter your perception of like 
who we are and where we are and when we are. And, right, exactly. And if you're operating, like if the sort of model you have of like um, uh, how power is exercised in the world and like through a historical moment, if that is conspiratorial, right? Like at some point, like that sort of, you know, at some point a conspiracy like becomes hard to distinguish from just simply a claim that like um, there is evil, right? And it's just like locate, you know, because because it it suggests like uh, an extraordinary ability of a limited number of people to take action to such a degree. So the question is always like, why do you think? Why do you think it's a conspiracy or why does it feel like important to think of it as a conspiracy as opposed to like a more like complicated historical formation, right? Like it's very, like it can be, you know, like the conspiratorial thinking is both like, you know, paranoid, right? Because like it relates any knowledge you find like back to you and your Mm. like relationship to like, um, uh, you know, whatever, like who it is who's at whatever it is that's out to get you, right? Um, but it also, te- it also like suggests that like, there's a kind of like, um, uh, you know, this just like infinite, um, power has like these kind of like infinite resources, right? To make things happen, to shape life um, and the sort of like passivity of the rest of us. And this is, I mean, I think this is such a like, you know, we talked, you know, we talked, about in an earlier episode when Swan is on Earth, we talked about how like um, for the people, for at least for Swan and the version of like living in space that she like embodies and the way that she lives and and thinks like um, you know, uh, Earth is like kind of unintelligible, right? It's just like this like. Uh, it's like just a mess, you know, and a little yeah. bit here, I feel like Mars has a little bit of that same status for everybody too. It's just like, it's totally secure because they got a planet and, you know, they terraformed it. Right. Yeah. Like, um, and then in that way, those things get kind of like discounted, you know, like anyway, whatever, I feel like I'm, I'm rambling now, but I think this is like a really interesting moment for thinking about like, just the different ways that this novel is asking us to think and the different yeah. ways it's asking us to encounter our desire to bring things together into yeah. like a single narrative that has this thing that we could call a solution. Right. right. And I think the cubes provide an interesting figure for thinking about that, that we'll get back to in a minute. Um, and, you know, in a way, so like the, 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 this chapter on uh, the Jeanette chapter ends with a couple of things happening, basically, the main thing for me is that, well, Makaret comes to visit Swan and Swan declares, I will create a monument to our loss. You know, she's desperate to do art to work through this. And that's another way of like, kind of making sense of whatever it is that's going on, conspiracy or whatever, but um, yeah, conspiracy attack agency, whatever, but in that artistic mode, which is so, which is so kind of different than the Jeanette mode of solving a mystery or something Mm -hmm. like that. It's Mm -hmm. really, it's actually really interesting to think about like how an artist or, or like the urge to create art in response to this event versus the urge to kind of solve it and attribute agency or guilt or, or, um, um, 
whatever uh, 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 to 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 the event, right? Um, because also like Swan, it's a little bit like uh, farcical or absurd. Yeah, she's like from her hospital bed. She's been like dosed with an enormous amount of radiation. She like almost died, and um, now she's just like, I'm gonna do an Abramovic. This is going to be my response and it's going to help people. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, and it is like a kind of, you know, uh, it, uh, yeah. I mean, it's like this deeply like narcissistic moment from yeah. her, but also I feel kind of bad for her in this scene because like uh, Jeanette, Waram, Makarit and Pauline right. are all basically like, you're not going to do that. You right. know, just calm, calm down. And yeah. and they all think it's stupid, right? And yeah. and I think she, you know, she is still, however, like, egotistically she's doing it. Like, she is registered. I mean, like, you know, they they look at the images of Terminator and it remind, mm-hmm. uh, it was reminiscent of old photos of Terran cities destroyed by a firestorm. I mean, you know, like, th- this is this incredible, like, traumatic horror. And McCart is like, Hey, you know, we need to do biome designing. Let's let's start putting those orders for trees in, you know, like let's keep going. And she is she is just like, you know, she who has almost died is and also just, you know, lost the most important person in her life is trying to register it. But like the way that she has to, she can only register it in terms that are about like the expansion of the self outward. You know, she's gonna like crucify herself you know or or whatever whatever i mean i think the i think waram's suggestion of burning at the stake is a great that sounds great but it's fucking cool there is something that is kind of i do feel bad for her just like surrounded by these people who are basically like "Mm, uh uh-huh okay okay but you know swan time for you to rest and it and it really this is a moment where it really doesn't pay off to have your ai implanted in your brain and speaking to you with your own voice telling you well you told me to tell you not to do this when you are sick or whatever but yeah i agree with you it's not a it's um because that is a genuine you know her genuine response to this is to create art about it and it's not like she doesn't have fans or people who would also like like to see i wonder how what's what swan's next album is going to be right like right, right right exactly um yeah but yeah it, but yeah um yeah yeah i mean right like where is the like you know um like it's easy to think of like another person's like expressivity, particularly like when their expressivity is like deeply like emotion laden as being pathological, right? right? You know, oh, this just reveals that you are a neurotic or yeah. a narcissist or whatever, whatever it may be. It it also feels like um, this moment where she's in bed and all these um, people mostly most of the men or male identified standing around her it feels like the end of wizard of oz yeah uh, yeah a little, <laughs> a little bit. yeah um, right right you were there and you were there okay dorothy go back to yeah. sleep. <laughs> yeah exactly or just any situation like um yeah when you're in a hospital bed and yeah. everybody around you is diagnosing you right. um you know right. yeah, yeah yeah exactly although um, i mean well rom does does give her that like sweet um quote from swan's way to make her feel better and she's just like fuck you (laughs) doesn't know what the fuck you're talking about also like yeah i waram i do (laughs) i do feel bad for waram because it's like burning at the stake swan shot him a poisonous look i'm sitting here like that seems like a constructive suggestion (laughs) 
that's cool. Like you know, crucifixion, come on, burning at the stake. Let's get with the, um, anyway. So then like Jin, uh, Waram has to go back to wherever he goes and then they share a little hug. Uh, yeah. um, I think that was all I want to say about that chapter. There's a discussion about the insurance covering the loss of Terminator. Um, then the lists five is a list of different as ascensions and asteroids and uh, terraria, which is, you know, typically, pro typically Fantastic. fun, typically Robinsonian fun here. It, um, I mean, it, it is like, you know, I think this is something to like talk about, like more like at the end of the book, but I think mm. this is a really interesting moment for thinking about, you know, that idea, Jameson's idea of the Mars books as the utopia of utopias. Oh. Right. And this is, this is like a really like deliberate invocation of the utopia of utopias. But of course we know that like one of the things in circulation here, at least per Jeanette is that because there is no there there isn't anything that's like unifying there is no law right there's no constitution like on on Mars, um, so we you know we always have so the question of like you know what holds the utopia is there a utopia that holds the little utopias to together or not right like do they add up to something, um, but this is just like you know the the references in here are like totally charming like to Joanna Russ and to Gene Wolfe um what's the one what are, point some of those out because i don't know those the Zanz those the authors. Zanzibar cat is uh -huh. a story by Joanna Russ mm -hmm. um definitely i don't know what saint george is a reference to uh -huh. um but uh hilarious love it a social tourism yeah. The men think they're living in a Mormon polygamy while the women consider it a lesbian world with a small percentage of male lesbians, which I feel like that's got to actually be from a feminist utopia. It could be from a Russ story, but I don't know. I actually don't know what it what it is other than like it's a pretty good LOL. I would uh, go. For, I wrote LOL next to it, too, and I would live on that one. That one I, sounds it's, good to me. I, it's fantastic. I love it. And always in, in the like... Um, yeah, in the like uh, sort of uh, separatist feminist utopias, there are always these like very um, the question about like whether there are whether there are men at all, right? Um, uh, and what their function is and what their sort of like status um, is in the Wanderground by Sally Gearhart Miller or Miller Gearhart, um, which is a really amazing amazing book. Um, uh, the women live outside the cities. There are like two genders in the cities, but but lots of women live outside the cities to like flee violence and particularly sexual violence. And they've developed this like really intense nature culture where they also like are telepathic. Um, but they start by the end, they start allowing men to join them, but they call they call the men who join them gentles. Mm. <laughs> and I think what it means is that they're gay. I think that that's what, that's the, that's the kind of idea. Um, that's a kind of a sweeter version of it than, than some of the versions of it. Uh, I think Arabia Deserta, a desert occupied by British travelers is another big LOL moment. <laughs> Lawrence, Lawrence of Arabia is on Lawrence TCM Arabia. right now. And like, that is so funny to me. Yeah. That is yes. so funny to me. Hilarious. Um, 
I mean, and then, you know, it goes from like the like extremely funny and charming to the Maldives and aquarium recreating the drowned islands, Micronesia, likewise, Tuvalu, likewise, all the drowned islands of earth. I mean, like, yeah, yeah. From the like very funny and charming to just like the real, like, you know, punch in the gut kind of moment. Yeah. Sierra Nevada. Like he actually, Stan was on, um, I think a New Yorker podcast with, um, Bill McKibben recently. And he mentions having just gotten back from the Sierras and seeing rivers that used to be like raging rivers and they're gone. And he kind of break, you you can hear him kind of almost crying in that uh, moment. Um, cause it's just like, it's actually, and then like the fires out there, I guess they've gone east over the hill mountains in a way that they've never done before ever. Oh my God. Um, I think that's what happened. And so bad stuff um there's the little prince that one's very nice and then i really like the miranda one um the smash together moon of uranus Mm. now a trojan freely orbiting the sun completely tent bubbled so it's like a snow globe another like kind of snow globe yeah yeah uh Um, the war the whirl is a reference to gene wolf okay to some amazing yeah. amazing it. books by wolf and then of and course but there's also the peach blossom stream right a favorite of ours from and uh years of rice and salt and red moon red moon um oh and they've got jurassic park uh <laughs> jurassic terraria <laughs> precambrian terraria um and then they have of course the unnamed prison asteroids with robot guards which right. is pretty dark um and kind of surprising you wonder um what people have to do to get sent to a prison asteroid in a robinson universe yeah yeah i mean and that i feel like we're gonna have to get back to that question later on because like that is it's a real like dark troubling thread i mean and it's interesting here right you know again like the sort of movement between like um, the source of the peach blossom stream on the one hand, um, you know, uh, this just like, you know, you know, beautiful, like vision of, um, whatever, like a perfect world, at least an aesthetically perfect world to, on the other hand, like the prison asteroid with robot guards, like right. super creepy, yeah. super terrifying. THX 1138 type. Yeah. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. The one good George Lucas movie. The uh, only good George Lucas movie. <laughs> <laughs> That's just true. That's a non-controversial. There's nothing controversial about saying that. I think so. Um, he's, the, he's the worst, except for some other people. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, any other ones? I think that's good. We could go. Yeah. Um, Swan and Makara um they have a little moment in this i mean i think i think one of the interesting things in here um is that um is learning that her um her the aliens she swallowed Hmm. um, right uh, perhaps helped her manage the vast amount of radiation that she took right which i think is like kind of fascinating and makara is still she she says you hated me doing that you told me i was a stupid fool i was right too 
Um, you know, like, so we have this sort of like, uh, whatever, like, what do you make a decision to do? Like, if you, if you made a decision to do something and then an accident happens that makes that like, have been a good, what does it then become a good decision? Right. Yeah. You know? Right. He doesn't think so. Right. But, yeah. Um, but that also mentioned, you know, comes up against the question of agency mm-hmm. and, you know, knowledge of what your action, you know, knowledge of what your actions actually entail. Some actions are simply unknown risks. And that was one of them, but it was a risk only not a certain thing. Um, and if you love life as you profess to do as your, as your excuse for all your wildness, then you should protect your life the best you can. So he's trying to point out like a logical fallacy in her philosophy of living, but of course that's a fool's errand that also is foolish to try to do as we know from just looking at the news and yeah yeah watching people scream about their freedom mm. to not wear masks and to have their kids die of a deadly pandemic disease right right well taking just... horse dewormer or whatever <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> just so those doctors are lying to me i know who the real people are to listen to the horse dewormer people on the internet <laughs> It, yeah. I mean, and then this, I mean, it's another interesting moment here where like, I mean, I don't, you know, there's nothing that, I mean, McCart in many ways just seems to be right. right. But it's also like the, the chapter ends with Swan, like looking over her medical records, mm. looking over the short version of her medical records. And so it ends with like, you know, a case file. Right. Um, and the case file that shows, I mean, and we have no, you know, we have no way of knowing, like, is this all the things that she's been through, all of the diagnoses, all of the medical regimes, like all of this, like, is this typical? Right. I mean, could we meet, you know, like uh, a million other, like um, people who identify as women fr- who live, who live in out in space, and this would like look really similar or is this swan, right? Is this particularizing her, which is of course always the case about the case file, right? The case, your case file is what makes you like a data point, what makes you, what categorizes you, right? I mean, all of that kind of stuff. And then it's also like, you know, the case file is, I mean, you know, I feel like there's a kind of like little subgenre of like feminist SF that like, you know, where the question is always like, I mean, and, and some feminist stuff that isn't science fiction, but it's usually more interesting in science fiction where the, where, you know, like the case file appears at these moments in which you have to ask yourself, like, is this woman crazy? Mm. Um, or is the world she lives in fucked up? Right. Which is like a, you know, obviously just a sort of like a shorthand for all kinds of things. We're not quite on that territory here, but a little bit, it is like, yeah, you know, like, damn, look at, look at this. It's not all stuff she's done to herself either. Right. You know, well, right. Like, um, ADHD age four to four to 10 that had been countered by a drug treatment later discredited. So it's full of things that she, that has, have been done to her that looking back were, you know, did not have the intended results, but at the time, mm-hmm. obviously were probably like the scientific conventional wisdom at the moment. Right, and it, right. and that whole section starts with her reflection on her body, emaciated on the bed, swimming under her gaze like somebody, like someone else, a thing she manipulated like a Waldo, right? So, and then later we get Kieran manipulating the Waldos. So there's that kind right. of like mind-body split and, 
not knowing what's wrong with your body or if there's anything wrong with your body, being told that there's something wrong with your body or your brain or your mind or your psychology or whatever, and then having to live within your body and live in your mind and deal with your consciousness. And that those, you know, intertwined, but also separate problems um, that is just like a fact of human living, right? Like that's not going to get solved in the future somewhere because it's, it is, it is human existence too, is like having someone else tell you, <laughs> right, 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 right. tell you what's wrong with you. And, right. and also having to like put some credence into that because they have a different perspective on you than you do. And sometimes they're right. I mean, and she's not like, you know, she's not like Waram, like she's not going to like reread remembrance of things past and find like, you know, the con the consolations of literature, right? <laughs> I mean, like, you know, that's, or the consolations of philosophy, right? Like that's kind of, that's like how he gets through it. And mm -hmm. you can understand here why like she wants to do a thing where her body is put into like, you know, public viewable extremists, right? right? Because like, if you feel like your body is constantly being taken away from you by things that other people want to do to it, or that your mind is being treated separate from your body, like, you know, well, one way to like respond to that is to try to be in your body, you know? Um, right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And also at the same time to like not give a fuck about your body and just like put whatever, you know, whatever cool thing comes your way into, you know, like, but those are in some ways two sides of the same. Yeah. Yeah. Know, same yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But then also the things that she protests that aren't in this dossier, which is her medical records are the things that she's done and accomplished, which are part art and part just sort of, um, I mean, like part art and part sort of terraforming designed a hundred terraria three years spent in the Oort cloud, putting mass drivers on ice balls, five years on Venus. Um, those were not medical events. They were, believe me. So, yeah, yeah. you know, that um, everything you do with your body is both a medical event and a work of art or some kind of, you know, and her kind of mission in life is to own that, own what she does with her mind and her body in a yeah. sense. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think, yeah, it's so interesting. I do, I, I think we talked about this last time, but I do feel like, you know, she remains just like a really interesting figure. And we, I think, you know, we wouldn't, we like as the readers are just like never in a position. If we're in a position where we're dismissing her, I think it's because we're like not reading very carefully, yeah. you know? I think too that like this moment here where we get her medical history, sandwiched as it is between these this interaction that she's having with Jeanette the police inspector like this is not a criminal history um it's not a police dossier but they have homologous relationships the medical right. dossier and the criminal history the medical history and the criminal history and you know if you were to like these are all sort of some of them are very futuristic things that she's going through with the, her medical history. Some of them are not that futuristic. Some of them are, are of the now, but yeah. if you were to, you know, think about what it would be, what, what something, what a medical history today for someone who is like an, uh, an a kind of extreme liver, an extreme artist, um, like, you know, Swan, um, there would be similar things. Like maybe there would be like, 
you know, tattoos or piercings or other kind of body modifications, um, other events that were, uh, you know, you know, I don't know, base jumping or, you know, deep diving, whatever it is that crazy shit that people do to hold their breath <laughs> long and then jump into the ocean a hundred feet down. Um, anyway, um, so that that's a neat, neat kind of like, but also like, because, so anyway, sorry, the homology between the criminal history and the medical history, both are kind of at, like at the extremes of quote unquote normal life or like, you know, normative living. And so that kind of, you know, also highlights her kind of outsider um, position or whatever. Right, 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 right. I mean, and like both, you know, like both are there to like, um, position you in relation to norms, right? right. You know, like, um, uh, you know, the way, the way in which like diagnosis or like diagnosis of HD, ADHD works is like in relation to a posited, you know, a posited norm. Um, and then at some point, like your case file also like, um, you know, uh, the case file overall, like, because you can't get away from it, you know, the next diagnosis depends on the previous one, right? So that like, if at earlier points, you seem to have exhibited signs of mental instability, the likelihood is that your set of concerns about like, you know, whatever sort of physical pain you're having will be diagnosed in relation to like, you know, a misfiring of something in your brain as opposed, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Like, um, and I think you really- Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Because people like patterns and science right. likes patterns exactly. and to exactly. continue those patterns. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And the pattern is related not only to the way in which like the light, your life is told by files, right. But also the ways in which the files can be related to each other. And that is like, you know, completely impersonal, like it has nothing to do with you and that, uh, and yet, um, you know, like it, determines things for you, like including, you know, what you're asked to like do with your, with your body or whether you're incarcerated or et cetera, et cetera. Right. Like, and, and that has to do with power. It's not only, <clears throat> it, it's not only like a function of power, but it is what power is the power right. to determine and to place patterns on, on, you know, um, life. Yeah. Yeah. And I think again, this question about like, you know, um, where or like what constitutes like um uh you know like the personality that you're supposed to like carry around with you and like what the role of like um the impersonal like the diagnosis or the file or whatever it might be is in relation to that personality that is just supposed to be you right um as well as like the question of the the norm that you are always being positioned like you know in a relation to whether that relation is like close or distant like again i think those are questions that come up um as we are like getting toward the chapter where we see uh where we start thinking about the cubes right because the you know um part part of what like an artificial intelligence might be as a kind of like impersonal person right um or like um a personal non-person you know something right something like that you know um but the those kinds of dynamics like in relation to structures of power between personality and impersonality are there for for human human persons also mm -hmm. 
which yeah. I, I think leads us into into the like really great and like fascinating extracts on um on sex and gender and on like the kinds of like pre-birth manipulations that can happen to produce particular configurations um uh of, of both right and we just like i part, part of what i think is great about this chapter is that like um sex gender sex you know quote unquote gender and sexuality are just like super mixed up here right yeah. you know like not not extricable and yet also like incredibly like um uh adaptable proliferating um uh and still like meaning meaning making i mean toward the end like we get to the kind of you know categories of self image right you know so in the in the end it is all you know all about like the way in which like people come to term themselves and recognize themselves and respond to normative demands, but also like in this moment, we see like have this incredible scope for like, um, uh, or at least a really wide range of norms that you can position yourself in relation to. It makes me think too of later and which we'll get, which we will get to the servile will thing um, that Swan and Jeanette talk about because despite the fact of science being able to describe all of these things and like why they happen and when you insert this hormone into that fetus that into that embryo to produce this result there's still the concept of self-image that you know may you know reject that kind of biological those kinds of biological facts or whatever uh and despite whatever agency or force or power imposed this, these chemicals on whatever you were um, before you were born, um, which is the same as like imposing identity on you before you were born in one way or another, calling mm -hmm. your, your fetus he or she, or even whatever name you come up with them with, with it for there's still the fact of the person living in the world who will uh who has the ability if they don't have a merely servile will to reject that kind of imposition of identity right yeah yeah exactly well and the and the sort of like um uh on the principal categories of self-image for gender include feminine, masculine, androgynous, gynandromorphous, hermaphroditic, ambisexual, bisexual, intersex, neuter, eunuch, non-sexual, undifferentiated, gay, lesbian, queer, invert, homosexual, polymorphous, poly, labile, burdash, hegera, two-spirit. I mean, like, even that list is like you know, itself like a sort of wild mix of like some of those are terms that we think of as like, this is a way that you understand gender. Some are about the way that you understand like sex, some about sexuality, and some are, you know, like don't allow like a distinction between the between those things. And so they're like, we both get like, yeah, like this is a, like a really radically opening opening up of ways that people can be. And these ways that people can be are both supported by all of the kinds of possibilities that are available that we could like sort of shorthand as like biomedical possibilities, mm -hmm. um, such as hormonal treatments support the surgical addition of a functioning uterus in the abdominal wall above the penis, right? Like the possibility of like, um, you know, any person having a uterus, right? 
Um, like, so these, the sort of like possible terms of identification or self-understanding would probably go beyond self-image toward like the way in which like one is also understood by other people. Like those are both supported by, and also as you were saying, like um, don't necessarily have to link up to like the state of biomedical knowledge, right? Or like um, a set of determinants um, uh, like implanted in one like prior to birth, because it also seems like, you know, one's body just like remains super malleable. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know if I totally understand, but this it's like really, in, it's interesting to me to think that like this has everything to do with longevity, right? And that the right. longevity treatments work better because of this, but also like presumably like the longer you live, like when like gender is no longer like a regulatory system, the more, the more like it occurs to you that you're not exactly what you thought you were like, you know, <laughs> two years or 20 years before, you know? The, yeah, that's a really interesting part. Prenatally selected bisexuality has the long, strongest positive correlation with longevity. So again, strongest positive correlation, the odds, you know, we're talking about, you know, the odds. Hormonal uh, treatments begun at puberty or during adulthood also have positive effects on longevity, but the psychological set will be, and then it just stops because that's just a gray area. But again, I think that's so interesting. So you're prenatally selecting bisexuality for your child in order to make sure that they have a long life. So you're sentencing your children to like yeah, long yeah. life. Yeah. So it's still like a thing where it's like, okay, maybe that kid doesn't want to live for 300 years. Yeah. Maybe yeah. they'd be fine at like 85 or something. You know what I mean? Um, it's a kind of flip side version of, uh, yeah, of like what's happening with Texas and like laws on women's bodies. Now you're sentencing women to have children or, yeah, or, or all the kinds of fucked up shit that are civilization does to women's bodies around the uh, around uh, making children forcing them to have children or just deciding which kinds of children are going to be born um, into what kind of suffering um, here you're you know uh, if you're pre if you're prenatally selecting bisexuality you're um, forcing people who are unborn to live in the kind of suffering that lasts for hundreds yeah. of years <laughs> merely decades well, and I think, I mean, just like thinking about, thinking about like the, um, the like abortion crisis, I mean, it does seem also like completely relevant to this to say that like that kind of, um, you know, the kind of stuff that is happening in Texas around abortion, like is absolutely related to, and not just like not extricable from like the kinds of stuff that is happening in many States around trans kids. Right. And the, I mean, because those questions, <laughs> though, you know, like, you know, it's not um, uh, questions about like reproduction and who gets to have what kind of body, right? And what kinds of bodies are legitimate um, and, and like what the relationship is between like, you know, a supposedly given sex um, and gender, like those are all like caught up together. I mean, and that, you know, has been a obviously like a, I think a real failing of like the abortion rights movement, which has so many failings. One of them is, is absolutely not see, not seeing that like, you know, this is not just about like quote unquote women, right. This is about like 
all kinds of all kinds of humans, right? I mean, and that like the the mechanisms are like really, really similar, you know, it has a great deal to do with like kids too, mm-hmm. like kids and adolescence. Um, anyway, whatever. I think that that's like, and that's sort of like that comes out here. And then I was also going to say that point that you were making is interesting in relation to how um, in a couple of chapters when Jeanette and Swan are talking about Earth and once once again, she's like, but don't they like us? Don't they know we like, and, and, and Jeanette is like, well, lots of people on earth don't even have the longevity treatments. And so here's another moment where like, you know, we read extract seven as like, this is about like what the world is like in, in 2312, the world, meaning like, you know, the universe where there are humans. And yet also like, is it, we don't even know, like, we don't know the extent of it, you know, on earth, like, it seems like life extension is like deeply remains like really class right. specific, um, uh, you know, and a little bit because we're about to go to Venus with Kieran, which just seems like, okay, well, that's not a place where people are getting like, you know, um, ideal situations to like experiment Mm-mm. with their ideal configuration of like, um, you know, sex, gender, and sexuality either. Like, you know, we just like, we don't know, is this like, we're looking at the possible, but are we looking at like the typical? It seems like right. maybe not, right? Right, right. Uh, Kieran on Venus is another great, is a great chapter. I, I mean, Kieran's role in this book is really fascinating to me um, because it is so kind of minor in a way, like he just punctuates things and kind of gives a radically different perspective on the solar system of 2312. Um, but, you know, he basically, he arrives at this guy Shukra's um, compound or whatever. They put him through a set of tests to see if, I mean, he is a spy, but they put him, you know, he's, a, so now you're a spy. What do you mean? Well, you're a spy for her at this point. So what, you, whether you know it or not, and it just makes me, you know, it, you know, the most effective spy is the person who doesn't know that they're a spy or the best agent, you know, yeah, the secret yeah, agent yeah. is a really fascinating character in kind of modern novels or modern stories, the secret agent and the, and the, you know, who has agency, the most effective secret agent is the secret agent whose agency is a secret even to themselves. <laughs> the fa- like the fact that they're an agent doesn't, they don't even know that they're an agent or who they're an agent for. And here Shukra puts him through these tests that seem like medical tests. He doesn't know what the results of them are. He looks clean, but somehow I doubt it for now. Let's use him for bait. So he's told that he's used for bait, bait for whom, for what we yeah. don't know. He doesn't know we don't even know if he's actually being used for bait or not because, because at that point he's just put into a Chinese work unit and effectively becomes a slave. He has no, no decision, no control over his life, where, uh, where he goes, what he does, what he eats. Um, Mm -hmm. He never saw Shukra again after the battery of tests, which made him feel like he had failed. Although one day it occurred to him that maybe he had passed. (laughs) Who knows? Like he doesn't know. We don't know what his level of agency is in his life. If he could have passed those tests, if he had tried harder or what? Nothing. Um, It's he is just immediately put into this, you know, work camp, work unit um, where he is doing these fantastical, amazing things, terraforming the surface of Venus, 
um, again, doing Waldo work. So we have this kind of Waldo figure again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is fascinating. Um, and then they are monumental tasks. So again, we have the issue of scale here. The workers continue to chip away at the monumental tasks set forth, set before them tasks, thousands of times bigger than similar jobs on earth. But if the job was shoveling snow, was that a good thing? Um, so he's just a glorified galactic snow shoveler. <laughs> so is that fantastical or is it just like compounding the mundane? Yeah, yeah, exactly. The uh, Waldo work was always demanding. It was full body movement, like dancing, not physically hard, but it magnified your every motion. It required very close attention and focus to move the Waldo in just the way you wanted it to go. So it could be interesting work or just a matter of lifting and carrying, but either way it left you fried. Um, so among other things, it's a really like um, the the idea of like this kind of like, as you were saying, like super large scale Waldo work um, uh, also produces a really like strange um, uh, reworking of both like what we think like of what automation is, right? Um, you know, right. Uh, uh, and um, uh, uh, also like of like what's like skilled versus unskilled, right? Or like brain versus manual work, right? Like it's a very like, it literally requires the use of your brain in order to, um, but it doesn't require the use of your brain in the way that like, um, you know, I don't know, having to like add things or read things does, right? For example. So, I mean, it's such an interesting kind of like, uh, so it's a, comp this is like a complicated kind of labor. And then it's further complicated because like, yeah, I mean, you know, are they like, you know, is this like indentured servitude? Are they right. serfs? Are they slaves? Like, who are these other people who are there with him? You know, did they, are they all spies? <laughs> well, and then like the, this task will take, no one knows how long, one year, 10 years, a hundred years. Do they have to work that long until right. it's done before right. they're free? Or do they put in a specific amount of time and then they can do whatever they want? Do they get the treatment after that? Like, no, he doesn't know because also he doesn't fucking speak the language. And he doesn't speak the language. And yeah. all he has is this translator belt, which is his best friend. Um, so it's like super, seems like, you know, at least he's not getting beat up by his cousins for not kidnapping people. Yeah. But, but. Um, he's also like living on Venus at the mercy of the, oh, and then also the sexual, the sex thing. You know, they they sleep on these mattress and loggers, which sounds like a Swiss term it does me. doesn't it yes mattresses as long as the room with with numbers on the headboards marking nominal slots for people a situation leading to a fair bit of sex in the dark sometimes even including him so in terms of like exploring sexuality um there are there is the opportunity for that although it in a in i don't know if it's a you know very optimal situation i mean it feels <laughs> like a prison yeah um, yeah yeah. And we have no, I mean, like later on when we see more of him, like it seems like the constraints on freedom are very weird because like, it does seem like you can kind of move around, but the problem is you're on Venus. So like, right. there's really nowhere for you to go. And like, um, you're like, risking death if you don't actually stick with the set of like routines that you have um well and then yeah. there are like these political powers that are not very um visible 
like there's Shukra. And then he, you know, he sends a message to um, Swan that says he doesn't see Shukra anymore. So she says, try Lakshmi. He looked into this and found Lakshmi was a name that caused people to go silent and look away, a big power based over in Cleopatra, an ally of Shukra's or an enemy. People didn't really know or didn't want to say. So again, he's just kind of in the dark. Like he can't even find out information about this person who is, you know, a major power on Venus. So like the transparency that we associate with what we think democracy is supposed to be. Again, it goes back to the issue of conspiracy. Like um, yeah. how is power distributed? How is it wielded? Who wields it? Um, and what, what agency can I, as just a Waldo worker, snow glorified <laughs> snow shoveler, wield over that? Like right. how, how right. can I determine my life? Like how can I determine my life um, and what, to what extent can I do so? List six uh, is like a kind of chart of an XY graph to a Whitaker biome diagram, as we all know. Uh-huh, yeah. Um, so there's not a lot to say about it, I think, but other than the fact that like we're in a future where there's a great deal of extinction on earth and the only place that a lot of life, earth life is surviving is in these uh, biome or the, these, um, asteroid biomes. Right. Basically. Right. Space yeah. zoo, the inoculant. I mean, and we get the, um, 34,850 known species went extinct between 1900 and 2100. It was, and remains the sixth great mass extinction in earth's history. Um, no extinctions from this point onward are inevitable. This has always been true. However, I mean, like, you know, which is, which is actually another really interesting sort of like making you think about like agency and history and like even like, you know, agency within like um, uh, what we think of as these like gigantic impersonal changes that we have nothing, you know, that whatever we have so little control over like large scale extinction events, the one that we are living in. But then the end of this space, the zoo, the inoculant, like, yeah. So is it just like, okay, life can continue, but it's going to continue in, in these like zoo worlds, right? Is that what it is? Or like, is this a way to like, what's the inoculant, you know, is right. the inoculant like um, the thing that will let like life return to the place where life is from, return to earth, um, you know? Uh, and I guess it's like the, a question too, because humans have to return to earth every seven years to get to, to re-up their microbiome or whatever. The question then would be like, if animals are reintroduced from terraria back to earth, will they have changed so much that they won't be able to readapt back yeah. to earth? Like, yeah. I guess probably they would have to do a similar exchange program maybe uh, like bring an elephant, a couple of elephants, herds of elephants down every once in a while and bring them back up or something. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and you got to think that like, you know, just like for us, there's something like not just about like, you know, the particulars of like gravity, but like the relationship to a horizon really like that has to ma matter for all living things, at least all living things that have eyes and, mo and move around, you know. I guess, although I suppose so, but what is the range distance of a 
you know, boa constrictors eye sight? Like how far away can, can they see all the way to the horizon? I don't know, but they have to orient. I mean, they obviously orient themselves in some ways. I mean, you got to think that like what can happen inside an asteroid is just fundamentally really different than like what happens on the outside of a planet. Yeah. Yeah. The same way that, yeah. The same way that what happens in a movie theater or a regular theater or a panorama is radically different than what happens like outside. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Touch grass, people. Touch grass. Yeah, that's what it, that's what it's all about. Where did that okay. phrase come from? Touch grass. I I've only just I've only heard it began hurting begin I've only begun hearing it in the last few weeks on Twitter. On Twitter. So it came from Twitter, I think, which I'm trying to be off for the month. I'm oh, good. to varying success. Congratulations. It saves a lot of time to not stare at Twitter for hours a day. You yeah. it really opens things up for you in terms yeah. of uh, staring at other things for hours. <laughs> <laughs> like um, a good book. Let, exactly. Let me. Um, we're gonna do Swan and the Inspector. Let me uh, walk out really quick and okay. take a break. I need I'll to pause. check my Bob Cadeau. All right. <laughs>